Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. It recommends our movies, routes our taxis, and even tells us who we might fall in love with. Artificial intelligence is everywhere. Hello, I'm Kenneth Kukier, and you're listening to Babbage on Economist Radio, our weekly show on technology and science. AI is flourishing and in unexpected ways. Even the pioneers are stunned by the recent progress. The discipline is filled with unknowns, including basic questions like how it works and whether, in its more sophisticated forms, it is capable of explaining the answers it produces. For me personally, I believe artificial intelligence is the most important development of my lifetime. I have watched it go from being the subject of academic ridicule in the 1990s to seeing it evolve as a technology journalist and even writing books about AI and machine learning. The idea of big data, after all, is just to focus on the fuel that powers AI. It's hard to imagine how society is going to tackle its global challenges without AI being a part of the solution, from feeding people, managing cities, treating disease, or responding to climate change. The world is a complex place, and AI is designed for solving complex problems. But there is a dark side to AI. The rise of corporate monopolies is a risk. The fraudulent use of the technologies is very real. And privacy is in serious jeopardy. Just this month, a law that is arguably the first pro-AI anti-human freedom regulation has been imposed. On October 4th, the Hong Kong government forbade protesters from covering the faces, which had been a way to evade facial recognition systems. Frankly, I find this chilling. At the same time, on a somewhat more prosaic level, there is the hype over AI. Yes, robotic surgeons and airlanes filled with self-flying cars are still a long way off. Could passengers for autonomous aircraft flight B-12 to New Tokyo please make your way to gate number 303? Have a great flight. But amid these concerns, AI remains incredibly powerful and useful. If the technology is to become as pervasive as it deserves, then society needs to sort out the downsides. In fact, I would argue that we have a moral obligation to do so in order to enable AI to flourish to serve humankind. But to start, let's hear from some important people. Hey, Doc, have you heard about this new technology? Are you speaking about this new algorithm to copy voices? Yes, it is developed by a startup called Wirebird. This is huge. It can make us say anything now, really anything. What you're hearing is not a conversation between two American presidents. It's a system developed by a startup called Lyrebird. It uses AI to mimic specific voices. I sat down with my incredibly patient producer, William, to train a robo-can of my own. 
So I'm sitting in the studio right now, and before me is a web browser that allows me to record my voice. I'm being presented by a sentence. The line running. It's not clear what I'm supposed to do. I think I get it. Okay. I record it. It gets uploaded immediately to some place on the web that now is going to process about 30 of these. Freya got out of the car. She set off down the lane to extract the phonemes so that it can actually have me say things that I've never said before. She found the old bench a little further on. Its yellow paint was dull and flaking. Create my digital voice. Press the button now. I am Ken Kukie's digital voice. I am an artificial intelligence. Okay, not really. Just kidding. So it says, try my digital voice. I'm going to click the button right now. Let's see what happens. This is the moment of truth. Brr, drum roll. Hello and welcome to Babbage on Economist Radio. I am your host, Kenneth Kukier. And coming up on today's show, Deep Fake Audio. Well, that was really impressive. I, <laughs> I think that I still have a job. <laughs> you can bleep that out. <laughs> While perhaps the technology cannot generate the most convincing robo-ken, I think my job is safe for a moment, Lyrebird has been acquired by the Silicon Valley startup Descript to apply their revolutionary technology to podcasting. With Overdub, you can use your own voice to synthesize new audio. That may indeed someday put me out of a job. Well, hopefully you'll be able to concentrate on things that require high-level thinking, and I'm sure you can do that. Yashwar, are you presuming that being the host of Babbage is not high-level thinking? I'm sure it's high-level thinking, and I'm sure it requires more than sound editing skills. That's Yoshio Bengio. I'm an AI researcher and scientific director of Mila, professor at University of Montreal. Yoshio is one of the world's leading experts in artificial intelligence and a pioneer in deep learning, a highly sophisticated AI technique that is used to identify the content in images, transcribe voices and audios, and translate languages, and more. He mentored a team of his PhD students to create Lyrebird, and they have big plans for it beyond podcasting. One of the maybe surprising use cases is being able to reproduce the voice of people who are dead, maybe actors or, or your father is dead, and, and somehow you, you, you'd like to be able to hear him say something. There were a lot of people calling the company to ask if they could do something like this, and of course it's possible. But Yashua's influence on the field goes far beyond Lyrebird. He won the prestigious Turing Award, known as the Nobel Prize of Computing, with Jeffrey Hinton and Jan LeCun earlier this year. Together, the three men kept the flame alive for the technique of deep learning when it was out of fashion in academia. And they're the founding fathers of the current wave of AI that is showing so much promise. Everything from recreational drones and factory robots to search engine results and satellite navigation systems are being improved by deep learning. AI is cutting across many sectors. The sector where it's the most developed right now is in internet recommendations and search engines, where the computer will take information about what you want, about you, and will propose things that match what you're looking for in one form or another, whether it's on Amazon or Google or Facebook. But it's also being deployed in many other areas of society. Uh, one area that I care a lot about is healthcare. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, but there are already systems that can produce diagnosis that is comparable or better to what humans can do, for example, in detecting cancer cells or detecting conditions by looking in your eye. And of course, many people have heard about how AI is being developed for mobility, for cars, for vehicles that will be more autonomous and already are beginning to be more autonomous. In large part, this 
is because of the ability of computers to see better. Maybe the biggest advance has been in vision. That is also opening doors in manufacturing as we are seeing more and more robots being more reactive based on what they can see. We've started to create a taxonomy of AIs. That's Jay Agarwal. I'm a professor uh, at the University of Toronto. I teach applied economics at the business school. Ajay is a fabulous thinker on AI, in part because unlike so many others weighing in, whether in the world at large or on this podcast, he is not an AI scientist himself. He's an economist that specializes in AI. So he sees things from a higher altitude than the people who are down at the code level writing the algorithms. The first branch is categorizing those that are what we could call productivity-enhancing AI. So they basically do what we've already been doing, just better, faster, cheaper. And so, for example, if, if I go to a bank, almost every bank now has got some kind of AI program, and they're doing it in all the things that you and I would anticipate, like in fraud detection, anti-money laundering, sanction screening, things like that. Then there's a second set of AIs, which are ones that rather than taking problems that we had already characterized as prediction problems, they're taking problems we hadn't characterized as prediction problems and recasting them as prediction. The canonical one that everyone's familiar with is driving. Most people don't think of driving as a prediction problem. And now that's predominantly how we're solving autonomous driving. Same with translation. Most people think of translation as prediction. So taking problems we didn't use to think of as prediction problems and recasting them as prediction. But this is just table stakes. AI will go beyond optimizing what we already do to enabling us to do new things altogether. Yet Ajay fears that this will produce a dramatic shift in the concentration of power. Anyone who's been reading the medical literature, let's say over the last 18 months, can't help but notice in all the top medical journals that there's an increasing number of papers that I would characterize as horse race papers, scientific peer-reviewed papers that effectively race or compare human medical experts with AIs. And increasingly, the AIs are outperforming the humans in things like reading medical images and pathology slides and AIs that are better able to predict suicide than mental health experts. Effectively, what we are beginning to see is that AI will likely outperform humans in virtually every form of diagnosis. That's interesting. The writing on the wall that we can see is that eventually, while let's say there are four or five projects that are all working on, say, detecting lung cancer, eventually there'll be one winner, one that gets ahead of the rest. And then because it's better than the rest, more people will use it. And because more people use it, it will get further better. The underlying feature of how AI works is it will lead to natural monopolies. Once we get consolidation, we have a real power center in diagnosis. That shifts the power of the whole medical establishment. Imagine a world in which there is one or two diagnosis companies globally. Just like, you know, before you and I, I live in Toronto, you're in London. When we want information, you'd go to your public library, I'd go to mine. And there were little centers of power for curating information. Now, you and I and, and most people, certainly in the English-speaking world, have all of our, majority of our information curated through a company in California. Imagine what that will be like in the medical sphere, because who would want to have their diagnosis done by a second or third or fourth best AI when the marginal cost of a diagnosis is zero? Nobody. That has effects all through the healthcare system. This concentration of power is one of several problems with making AI a mainstream technology. How can we remedy it? I suspect you'll have several guests over the next 18 months on your show where you are debating this very issue. It's going to be a society-level debate on our view on competition versus performance. And so, in other words, you think to yourself, you know, I just came back from meetings in Washington. Which regulator, once we get to the stage that we're ready to regulate autonomous vehicles, which regulator is going to say yes, and we will also allow the second and third best AI to drive? It's a hard case to make. 
AI regulation is super slippery because as AI continues to develop, any regulation that you have is bound to change, right? Catherine Havasi is an AI researcher at MIT and the co-founder of the tech's analytics company, Luminiso. Catherine wants to make sure innovation flourishes while public policy interests are upheld. As we think as how AI is evolving, it's really hard to put a target on what's going to happen in five years, what's going to happen in 10 years. And so writing a regulation now and expecting it to last for a long time can be really difficult. What are you concerned about? Is there anything that you see as like a dark dream of regulators doing that would sort of gum up the works of your business? I'm concerned on both sides, right? I think doing absolutely nothing is a concern because I think in some places it can be the Wild West with privacy. We leave tremendous digital breadcrumbs behind that really reveal a lot about data. Then you create an ecosystem where individuals don't have access to their data and don't know what's out there. And that causes people to really worry. So you can, as a business person, be really worried that there's going to be a backlash, right? That people are going to get very scared about the cloud. They're going to get very scared about putting their data into these systems. We see some of that with Facebook now. Both for business and for an individual, there's tremendous benefit to this. So without regulation, there's not trust and confidence about what's being done with the data. So I think in some ways, we really do need to open that up. On the other side, I'm really quite quite worried about a bunch of people who frankly don't have either the technical experience or the policy experience coming in and writing regulation here. There's a lot of things that we're blocked from doing that are clearly things that, you know, are everything that Facebook is in the press for right now. And I think right now there's a tremendous feeling amongst folks in AI that we can't keep pushing that way and we can't do that kind of thing because we're going to lose, again, the public trust. And once you lose the public trust and use the ability to use that data, then you've lost a tremendous asset. So give me the one optimistic view of, man, if we had a regulation here, life would be better for us. Well, I think regulation can keep the trust of the consumer in artificial intelligence. And I think that's incredibly important because if we end up in a world where all the data needs to be processed on the edge and nothing can be aggregated, we're going to end up in a world where we're just not going to find cures to rare diseases. We're not going to find the edge cases because we can't put things together. And I think that's the real danger. Protecting privacy in the age of AI is harder than it may seem for counterintuitive reasons. If companies collect personal data and privacy rules prevent sharing them, say, health records or to improve transport networks, then it will increase the dominance of those who control information. This may give rise to just a handful of AI monopolies. As far as we can tell, there are a number of industries that we have in the past recognized as being natural monopolies. Ajay Agrawal again. It's efficient. It serves society as long as we can curb their tendencies to extend their monopoly power into adjacent markets. Our sense is that that's going to be the job of regulators, is to recognize that the nature of the technology leads to natural monopolies. We will likely have to monitor those to ensure that they're not abusing their power. You could imagine a company that establishes a dominant position in diagnosis would have a tendency to start expanding into horizontal expansion into related markets like treatment. Those are the things we think we're going to have to be careful of. Thoughtful regulations can prevent monopolies from forming, or if they form, which is legal, from abusing their dominance. But there are limits to the effectiveness of regulations. The rules can never cover the waterfront of all the ways a bad actor like a rogue state or criminals or hackers or idiotic pranksters can misuse the technology. Here's how Liarbird's new parent company, Descript, tries to stop people from misusing their software. I don't know, man. It seems like people could use that for some pretty... Bad stuff, yeah. Which is why you can only use it with your own voice and no one else's. So-called deep fakes, the fraudulent content produced by deep learning, 
is a hard problem to overcome, and we're just at the start of a potential crisis. Hackers are already exploiting it. In March, an executive at a British energy company was instructed by the firm's chief executive in a phone call to make an urgent wire transfer of a quarter of a million dollars to a supplier. He did as he was asked, but the CEO never made the call. It was a deep fake fraud, according to the firm's insurance company, the Euler Hermes Group. So what's to stop bad actors from getting around them? Yashua Bengio again. Unfortunately, the, the technology, I mean, the papers that show how to do these things are out there. And so many actors are already deploying these kinds of things. What it means is that it's fairly easy to cheat. And of course, that could be very dangerous. You can see how it could be used to manipulate people and produce political chaos. People recognize that danger and understand that when somebody brings a recording, whether it's in an online discussion or as a proof in, in a trial, you can't take it for granted that it's a, a genuine re- a recording. It turns out there are techniques to incorporate in a recording in a, in a hidden way if you want some kind of encryption that says, well, this was recorded at this time by this person and, 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 and at this location and so on to provide this kind of proof. But it would mean that when you have a recording device, these technologies would be embedded there and you would have foolproof recording. And by the way, it's not just for sounds, it's also for video, right? The same problem comes up. We can fake videos, but the same solution exists. So I think vendors of machines will eventually build these things in. Coming up in a moment, do you trust AI? And are your pets safe? The domestic robot that's supposed to feed the kids while you're at work and there's nothing in the fridge and it finds the cat and decides to cook the cat for dinner because it it understands the cat has nutritional value and its goal is to make sure the kids get fed, but it fails to understand that there's some other value here, which is the sentimental value of the cat. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. We trust technology all the time, every day. Computers fly our planes. They apply brakes to our cars. They manage our power grid. They count out our money at cash machines. So shouldn't we have the same degree of trust in AI as we do in computers more generally? My name is Stuart Russell. I'm a professor of computer science at the University of California, Berkeley. And I recently wrote a book called Human Compatible AI and the Problem of Control. Stuart Russell is being modest, as is his way. He is the co-author of the standard reference textbook on AI that all students read. And after spending the past two decades training a generation of practitioners about AI, he now travels the world warning of its dangers. The problem is something we've actually known about for thousands of years, that it's very hard to state correctly and completely what the real objective is is that you want the machine to pursue. King Midas, for example, stated his objective that everything I touch should turn to gold. The gods, or in our case, the AI system, would give him exactly what he asked for. And of course, there's a problem, which is that his food and his drink and his family all turn to gold. 
and then he dies in misery and starvation. So we've seen this principle in many, many cultures. The genie in the lamp who grants you three wishes. The third wish is always, please undo the first two wishes because I got them wrong. The difficulty with AI is if the AI is super intelligent, more intelligent than human beings, then you don't get a second wish, let alone a third wish. And if your first wish is stated wrong, AI system pursues it. So for example, if you say, oh, you know, we would like carbon dioxide levels to be back to their pre-industrial concentrations. That would be great. So we got the climate back in balance. One of the ways to do that is to actually get rid of all those human beings who are the ones producing all that carbon dioxide. That would solve the problem very quickly. And you might say, okay, well, actually, no, second wish, please restore carbon dioxide levels and don't kill anybody. Okay, fine. Well, then we just engage in a very sophisticated long-term strategy of social media engineering to convince people to have fewer children and fewer and fewer and fewer children until there are no humans left. We didn't kill anybody. We solved the CO2 problem. Great, right? But now, of course, if you're all dead, there is no third wish, and that's the thing we want to avoid. So what's the solution? So the solution actually is to go right back to the beginning and see that the problem is coming from this idea that machines should pursue a fixed objective that we supply. And that once we've supplied that objective, the machine is going to calculate the best way to pursue it, and then carry out that plan. Instead, the machine has to know that although we may have objectives and preferences, it does not know what they are. Even if we say, I want you to restore CO2 levels, that's not the whole story. There are going to be other things that we care about, and it does not yet know what those are, including the fact that we want to be alive. So you build machines that don't operate with a fixed objective, but know that they don't know what the true objective is. And this produces very different kind of behavior. Rather than this sort of single-minded genie in the lamp, it's more like a, a sort of perfect butler who anticipates your preferences but would never do something that might be of serious cost to you and first would ask permission, allowing itself to be switched off. If, if it's doing something that makes humans unhappy, it would welcome being switched off because it wants to avoid things that are not beneficial to us. So far, we have considered some of the possible harms of AI, how it can deceive, how to prevent AI monopolies, how to make it safe, and how to protect privacy. But perhaps the thorniest obstacle is a deeper philosophical one. When I was leading the Google Brain team, one of the things we did was have a neural network watch YouTube for a long time and uh, it learned to detect cats without us ever having explicitly telling it what a cat is. So that was a breakthrough in unsupervised learning. One of the weaknesses of deep learning algorithms is they don't explain themselves very well. That's Andrew Ng. He's one of the world's foremost AI researchers who taught at Stanford before leading the AI teams at Baidu and at Google. And he's the co-founder of several AI startups. His paper from 2012 on detecting cats in YouTube videos is actually one of the seminal works on AI. The good news is that the technology works. The problem is no one knows why. Trying to get a deep learning algorithm to explain everything it does, every little detail of every decision, that feels very hard today. Although, to be fair, trying to get a human to explain why they make a certain decision is also very hard. If I ask you, why do you think this animal is a cat? You know, if we had a cat with us, it's actually very hard for you to explain why you think this animal is a cat. Uh, you can say, you know, it has ears, pointy ears, but, but it's actually really difficult for humans to articulate a lot of the 
decisions we make. So I think we're still quite a ways out, maybe a long ways out from getting computer to explain everything. But to give enough of an explanation, for example, if an AI either accepts or turns down a loan application, you know, today we have techniques to give some sort of explanation so that the person applying for a loan can get a sense of what they might want to do, for example, if they want to improve their credit rating. Explainability is a lofty goal, and it would be nice if we had machines that could explain in detail how they come to their conclusions. Yashua Benjio again. And I think for some things, we already are able to do that. For others, it might be out of reach forever. Think about humans taking complicated decisions that require all of their experience and intuition. They probably can tell us a story about you know, how they came to the conclusion, but it's not going to be the complete story. It's going to be a very partial story. And uh, we know that because if we take those explanations from humans and we try to program computers with them, it doesn't work. That means there's a lot going on under the hood in our brain, which we don't have access to. This is called unconscious computation, right? Everything that is intuitive, we know how to do, but we can't explain it. I think it's a fundamental limitation because there are computations that are so complex that they cannot be put in words. I have seen this as a barrier to adoption only in a very small number of cases, hardly any cases. Uh, I don't want to dismiss the problem. This is an important problem we need to work on. But to take an example, today, the regulatory authorities have approved many medical drugs, you know, like FDA in the US, have approved many drugs whose biochemical effects we don't know, but through gold standard clinical trial testing, we're quite willing you know, to take these drugs because we're convinced that they do work. When my students at Stanford and I were deploying a system in Stanford for uh, looking at patients' electronic health records and figuring out who should be recommended for consideration for palliative care, for end-of-life care. Initially, the learning algorithm just gave a black box prediction, but with a bit of work, we're able to give enough of an, quote, explanation for why the learning algorithm recommended this patient and not patient that doctors were able to gain comfort with it. There are serious obstacles that absolutely need to be overcome to make AI a mainstream technology. But that should not intimidate us, it should inspire us. We have a moral obligation to apply AI to our human problems and solve those problems if we can in a way that no human mind is able to. AI gives us these superpowers to do things at a scale, speed, and cost that was impossible to do before. And it enables us to do entirely new things by surpassing the limitations of the human mind. What brings me the most optimism is that AI, if we use it for good, has a potential to improve the well-being of all of humanity in, in like profound ways. At all levels of what we do in society, we could do things in a more efficient way that brings uh, more value and, and helps more people. The reason why um, many people are so much motivated in exploring AI, even for things like climate change, we just finished a paper that explains how AI could be used to fight climate change, among many other things that need to be done, right? AI technology has already matured to a point where I think there's a relatively clear path for it to transform multiple industries. But this places a lot of pressure on not just engineers, but on division leaders and executives and CEOs in all of these different industries to learn just enough about AI to manage this transition. I think that's going to be a big hurdle for a lot of segments of a society to overcome. But the companies that manage to do it, I think those companies will do very well. AI could provide the human race with much more intelligence than we have access to normally. I think intelligence has an enormous beneficial 
effect. It's what created our whole civilization. It creates medicine, it creates architecture, it creates art and music and uh, the things that make life worth living. So it, AI could be a tool to make life better, it could really create a golden age for humanity where the conflict over resources becomes irrelevant because AI can provide everything as a service. It won't happen unless we fix this problem because as the AI systems get more powerful, the downsides of poorly specified objectives get bigger and bigger. And it's a little bit like what happened with the nuclear industry. It had great potential to produce really low-cost electricity without all of the carbon dioxide, but because they didn't pay attention to the risks, we had Chernobyl and Fukushima, and that decimated the industry. Uh, it's wiped out. And so all of those potential benefits were just never realized. Artificial intelligence is a terrible term for this technology, since it seems to both diminish its capability and anthropomorphize how it works. But beyond the term, it is a chance to understand more about the world and redefine our place in it. We can improve humankind by overcoming the limitations of our mind, so long as we are willing, perhaps, to give up on a degree of explainability. The irony is that the development of science removed the authority of faith and replaced it with a trust based on reason. Now we are humbled that something smarter than us may force us to, in certain circumstances, accept the unexplainable. I welcome this a lot, even if I fear this a little. That's all for this edition of Babbage. I'm RoboKen. Please don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like our podcast, subscribe to the newspaper. Take out a subscription at economist.com slash radio offer for 12 issues for $12 or £12. And in London. And in the cloud. This is The, the Economist. Economist. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.